World of Horror Podcast. You're invited to my party, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. We have painted a bloody picture, but it is only a small part of what actually takes place. journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Hey Dave, this is our Halloween episode. I am so excited. I am too, man. I... Anytime it gets to be this time of year, the weather changes and just the atmosphere outside changes. I feel like people's personality changes and we're no longer the weird guys watching horror movies. Everybody's doing it. In the mainstream, it seems like horror's kind of made a little comeback because I feel like there's more TV series and stuff like that that are kind of revolved around horror. So I feel like it's almost more like it's it's cooler now to like horror. I don't know, but... See, I was going to say that we were finally the cool kids. Now you're saying everybody's the cool kids because everybody likes horror. Yeah, no, well, I'm saying, yeah, it's it's, a, it's cool to like horror. So we were actually, we actually liked horror before it was cool. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love this time of year. I, uh, if I actually had a, like a, a real house, I would probably decorate the front yard and, you know, pull lots of scarecrows and stuff like that. that I've always loved that, like driving through neighborhoods and seeing people decorate. Uh, I don't, I feel like it's, it's kind of like, I don't see it as often nowadays. Do you see people decorating anymore? Really? So usually what I see, there's no more like intermediate decorations, like in, in between, you know, I'll see some houses that have the minute decorations that you get from target, you know, just a basic, Almost, and it's the same folks who and, and bless them too but it's the same folks who decorate for like every single holiday it's just like oh hey you know happy fourth of july happy this happy this and it's just it's bare minimum but then there's always like one house that goes all out and it's like no half-ass like they have everything out there but they're so like few far and in between and so i guess to answer your question is the amount of decorations have definitely lessened but it seems like there's no one who does any half-assed decorations. You know what I mean? Like some houses back in the day, at least when I remember being a kid, there would be like some houses that had at least one cool thing going on. Like, oh, that's awesome. Like you said, scarecrows. There'd be one house that'd have the scarecrow. There'd be one house that just overdid it with pumpkins. And now it seems to be like there's almost nothing. And then there's one house that does everything. It's like the house you have to see every year. Yeah, and it seems like everybody, like, you know, back in the 80s when we were growing up in the 90s, people were, people had like homemade homemade uh howling decorations like you know scarecrows that they made and it's just things that they made um but now you you know at like target and places like that they sell these big inflatables so that's kind of what i see more and more of those these big inflatables in people's yards and they're kind of cool but i there's just something about like something that somebody made like from a movie that they really liked or you know something like that it just it was, it was a lot more fun to look at you know some like these homemade type scenes or scarecrows and stuff like that because they would just like use some old like flannel shirts and overalls and like maybe put like a halloween mask on it and stuff like that oh there's this one prank that i've seen that i love it's where a house will have a scarecrow sitting on the front porch like i don't know leading up to halloween it'll just be like a scarecrow like all this time for all the weeks leading up to halloween and on halloween night they have somebody dress up as a scarecrow and mm. sit on the front porch and so when kids come up they're expecting it to be this fake scarecrow that's been on the porch the whole time and when they, you know, there's like, there's maybe a bowl of candy or something, or maybe, maybe there's not, maybe they, the kids actually have to go and knock on the door. And then when they do, the scarecrow like jumps up at them. And <laughs> I don't know. I just love that prank. I always thought that would be fun, a fun one to do, but I don't really get too many. We don't really get any trick or treaters. I don't know. Do you, do you guys, you live in an apartment, right? I live in an apartment. So nobody knocks, man. And uh, it, I don't know. I guess if you're going to go all out, it would be really nice to have the complete experience but it's just it's crazy with the times, you know, and I think when we growing up, um, there was just less you can do. And so you kind of just put your all into it. And I think now that we're around that 40 age bracket, uh, you have to put a lot of work <laughs> into decorating and doing all that. And I think if we had the house, it would just kind of 
inspire you to do it more. But yeah, man, it's just one of those things where even if I go drive down neighborhoods right now, I would probably only see two or three porch lights on per street. People just don't seem to be in the spirit anymore. Yeah. And I guess this year it's kind of, you know, with COVID and everything that kind of throws a, throws a damper on things. Could you imagine if a house had did like a COVID theme for Halloween? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Free COVID test enter here. Like, Oh my, it's like a laboratory looking thing. Oh, uh, well, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah, you know, with Halloween, you know, I it brings back memories for me. It always makes me nostalgic, but also makes me think of one of my favorite actors. You know, he's somebody that's been in one of our favorite horror movies. He's a household name. You know, do you know who I'm talking about, Dave? You're obviously talking about Lon Chaney. Nope. Guess again. Bela Lugosi. No, no. Try again. Try again. Vincent Price. No, I think a little bit more of a contemporary actor. Oh, Johnny Depp. No, I'm talking about Paul Stephen Rudd. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If, if you haven't guessed by now, uh, we are talking about Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, or The Curse of Thorn, whichever you prefer. It's one of our favorite Halloween movies. I think me and Dave, uh, we, we both love that movie. This episode is our Halloween episode, so I think, you know, what better time than now to talk about Halloween 6. This movie is infamous for having two different versions. There's the producer's cut, which is the version that was originally filmed. And then there's the theatrical cut that was released to theaters. And uh, so we'll get kind of get into the differences between the two and which one we actually prefer. Let's start Let's, with the history, Andy. Like, yeah. tell me, like, which version did you see first? So I actually saw the theatrical cut. I actually went to the theater and uh, it was like a fall afternoon because I remember this came out in October and I went to the theater by myself. This was the first Halloween movie I saw, period. And I saw in the theaters and I loved it. I mean, it was to me, it was scary. You know, I was a let's see, 95. I was I was I was 17 and 95. OK, so. Yeah, I was a teenage boy, you know, so this kind of ticked all the boxes. Had you know, had scary Michael Myers had a lot of blood and guts, you know. So, you know, this definitely was my gateway into the Halloween franchise, and this got me to. Then after this, I, I you know I watched all of the other Halloween movies after this. Uh, what about you? So I did see the theatrical version first, but I didn't see it in theater. I'm very uh, very jealous that you got to do that. I, I wish they'd bring this one back, though I'm not so sure that they would. But I remember seeing this movie. I can't remember if it's the VHS I had or seeing it on TV, but I watched them both a lot. And I remember this might have been one of the first Halloween VHS tapes that I had because the cover was so iconic but I also remember watching it on TV a lot. Like they used to loop this thing in the Halloween season on one of those big networks like USA or TBS or whatever. But I remember this Halloween being one of the ones I watched the most. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that really got me really anticipating its release was because I got the Crow VHS you know, when that movie came out. And I was watching it. And then you know how the VHS tips, they have those trailers before the movie. Oh, yeah. And so I remember the two trailers before the Crow was – uh, what was it called Mother's Boys? It was a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Mother's Boys. Yeah, yeah. And then all then the second trailer was for Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers. But I think it was like that old trailer before they changed the name. So I think it was actually like the origin of Michael Myers. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, um. So yeah. So that was kind of cool. Of course, I don't have the VHS tape anymore, unfortunately. But I'm sure it's on YouTube. But uh, but yeah. I mean, it was it was cool cool to you know see the trailer and, and just be excited um because in the 80s freddie and jason were the big horror guys if you think about it in the 80s there was more friday the 13th and definitely nightmare on elm street movies that, that were released halloween you had halloween 2 and what 81 something like that yeah. and then halloween 3 but then you didn't have anything until what 1988 was halloween 4 right so like a large chunk of the 80s uh, Michael Mars was kind of like put on the back burner. Like nobody really talked about him as much. I, and I remember growing up, it was all Freddie and Jason, Freddie and Jason. And I remember like people would kind of mention Michael Myers, like, uh, you know, and, and like as an aside, 
I didn't really think about him as being a major horror icon until this movie came out. And I was actually old enough to actually kind of go and see it. I know that they showed a lot of the older movies on TV, but for whatever reason, I just never saw them. I don't, and I don't know if I just, I don't know why I never saw them on TV, but anyway. The ones that I keep talking about, I saw on cable TV. So that might be a difference of why you didn't catch them. Because you okay. kept watching that UHF station you always talk about. Exactly. I never, I didn't have cable until I was in my teens. So and this was a, like, the basic cable TV yeah. package, but something about like watching the movie and then it cuts to commercial. And then, so you kind of fiddle away, it's right back in and then it like pulls you right back to the TV set. And it was always so cool because they would play them back to back. So you, I don't know for sure if they would always go like one through six in a row, but they would always seem to play like at least one and two and then maybe four and five. And then six would always populate and correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but the theoretical version, the one everybody knows as Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, it's, it's almost the most brutal one in the series. Yeah, definitely. So that, that was the main difference with, with, between the two versions was they had a screen and this was, we know, we know this because, uh, it was one of the special features and one of the interviews they did, one of the behind the scenes interviews they did with uh, the woman that played uh, Kara Strode. Uh, her name is Marianne Hagen. She said in an interview that they did a test screening with the producer's cut. And she said that it was mainly filled up, the audience was mainly filled up with like 14 year old boys. And after the movie was over with, they didn't really like it, they thought it was too boring. And so that's when they went back and did reshoots and they add, added in a lot of gore and violence. They didn't really, well, they did add a bunch of kills because there was that whole operating room scene that I thought was really cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, as a 17 year old boy, you know, so, so it makes sense as a 17 year old boy, this, you know, theatrical release really like spoke to me, you know, really checked off all of the boxes, especially that operating room scene, just to see the brutality of Michael Myers, just to see him in his element kicking butt. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things like, because in that during that time period, there was no new Nightmare on Elm Street movies. There was no new Friday the 13th movies. So in my mind, Michael Myers became the new boogeyman, became the new guy to, to, to kind of look at as a horror icon in the 90s anyway. Um, but then the, the next one wouldn't come out until, what, 98 was when H2O came out. But uh, yeah, so the theatrical had a lot more violence. Um, how, you know, they added a lot more gore to it. They cut out a lot of the dialogue scenes with uh, Donald Pleasance and some of the other characters, which, so in the producer's cut, there's, you know, it's kind of like the talky-talky version. You know, they, they, they have a lot more conversation, a lot more, uh, probably a lot more depth to the characters, I guess, you know, because you get a lot more explanation of the relationship between Dr. Wynn and, and Donald Pleasance, uh, those two characters. Okay, um, you get a lot more explanation about why Dr. Wynn approaches dr loomis and why he wants him to come back to smith's grove whereas in the theatrical it's just like he comes and says hey i want you to come uh working in a smith's grove there's not really a whole lot of explanation there which i guess i can appreciate the the you know the the conversation that they do you know so i think there's like there's a balance here so when i, I know whenever i saw the producers i was kind of disappointed because because a lot of the the gore scenes were left out. We're we're trimmed down. We're not there, and uh, but I guess like as a as like a storyline, I could see where the producers cut makes a lot more sense, just in a linear fashion. But I enjoy the theatrical cut so much better because there's more action. It's just a funner movie experience for me. So one thing that is kind of funny is the name of the movie itself. Is called Halloween, the Curse of Michael Myers. And that sounds like an awesome and fitting name for the film because, you know, they had Halloween 4, Return of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers. So we have 6, the Curse of Michael Myers. But the funny thing is the choice of words is they actually went with that because of all the issues they had. They said that this movie was cursed from the beginning. I also find it crazy that the alternate version is the producer's cut because you won't hear that very often. You usually hear like this is the director's cut or this is the unrated version. Well, this is the unrated producer's cut, in fact. And I don't know, like when you hear something like that, you usually think that it's turned on its head. Like it's the one that's more violent. Like this is the cut. This is the one that they wanted to go with, but it got dumbed down by the MPAA. You know what I mean? And that's not the case at all. Like you said, the producer's cut is a lot less violent and it's more dialogue heavy. It's more story driven. And it just shows the scenes they took out and replaced to amp the carnage of the film. And 
it's just going to be an interesting conversation because I love both versions of this film so much. And if you do your research on Wikipedia, you will hear about these. I don't know if you read this. I'm sure you did. But there was these bootlegs that were, came out back in the early 2000s. I had that. I oh, yeah, me too. Did you have one? Okay. I, I had remember. the I had the DVD bootleg. Yeah, me too. That's awesome. I don't think many people did. And because I don't know about you, but I paid a lot for it. Yeah, I, I know I bought it off eBay, and I can't remember how much I paid for it because I, it was like back around you know around the early two thousands when I bought it. So <laughs> yeah, same dude. I bought mine in two thousand two, and it cost me sixty dollars. And I oh, remember, yeah. and, and it was a lot for me because I was a senior in high school at the time. But I remember it being so crazy because I bought it, and I had already known of the like ideas about it because this is back when you used to go to like the Halloween movies.com website. Like they had their own Michael Myers website. This is before smartphones, anything like that. So you had to hop on your computer and they talked about the origin of Michael Myers. And this was so satisfying to me because I remember that trailer that you talk about, I didn't have the curl VHS, but I had something else. It was probably dimension films or something related. It had the same trailer. I remember like, where's that movie? And then I remember the, Curse of Michael Myers not being exactly the same. And I remember thinking, oh, they probably just changed some stuff. But Lord and behold, like because people wanted this movie out there, that bootleg came out. And I remember I had printed out, I have it somewhere, I have to find it. I have a booklet that I printed out in 2002 of the pages of the Curse of Thorn because that's all that I knew as far as the existence of it. But now that this DVD came out, I remember buying it. And dude, I was so excited when it showed up. And I remember my heart sank because. <laughs> It wasn't like the case was so like printed and fit together and the disc was blank. I was like, what the heck is this? I did, That was the first time I realized what bootleg really was. Oh, yeah, it was just, yeah, somebody, something that somebody just burned on their computer. And and even the, the video quality was really oh, it's bad. so grainy. Yeah. Well, they, I remember, know. dude, I think was it 2014 or 15, they finally reduced released the producer's cut on blu-ray or whatever it was and i remember not jumping at it right away because i thought it was gonna be the same grainy video but uh turns out that's not the case it actually looks pretty beautiful yeah i actually bought that blu-ray and then i, I watched the producer's cut and i wasn't crazy about it so i sold it and but at the time it wasn't like now it's out of print and it's going for crazy money is um, it really yeah because i because i you know prepping for this episode i was like well i'll just see if i can buy the blu-ray again but it's going for I don't know like fifty bucks or something crazy like that. Back so I'm up like, to well, that original bootleg price. Yeah, so it's funny. I, I'm I'm kind of kick myself because I sold it. You know, I think I only sold it for like nine bucks or something. You no, know, you're back... kicking yourself because you want to sell it now for fifty. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but uh, actually, I, I was able to buy the digital copy of it on Amazon for like you know a few bucks. So it wasn't bad. So I just did that. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'll watch the producer's cut again now, you know, with fresh eyes. Like I watched it a couple of times th this last week. And yeah, I noticed that, uh, you know, there, there's definitely some some glaring differences with like the conversation that the, the scenes with uh, dialogue between certain characters, especially like Dr. Loomis and Dr. Wynn. And there's a little bit of dialogue that's missing, like between the Strode family that I think it kind of gave people a little bit more insight into what was going on within that family. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's really dysfunctional. And it even gives you a little bit of back, a little bit of connection uh, with how um, the brother. Tim, the uh, Tim. Yeah, yeah Tim that's Strode. it. Oh, boy. Yeah, Tim. it gives you a little bit more uh, backstory on how Tim knows Barry, the, you know, the DJ. Um, he says, you know, Barry's my homeboy from Chicago. So, um, which is really funny too, because whenever Barry shows up, they don't act like homeboys, do they? No, they <laughs> don't. They don't. Barry's act like all about really... Beth, man. Exactly. So, you know, in the theatrical cut, it doesn't really make a difference because you don't really see that um, that relationship between Barry and Tim at all. So, just so the the reason why, so the the fact that they cut that out doesn't it's not a big deal. Um, but you do see some like interact, some like dialogue between uh, John and Deborah, like the parents that kind of like, you know, where John says, oh, she's not cares, not my daughter anymore. Kind of stuff like that. And then even when he's at work in his real estate office, he's like looking at a picture of her and taking a drink, like happy Halloween little girl or something like that. And and some people kind of read into that, that like he may have had an unhealthy relationship with his daughter. Like there's something that went on there between them. 
yeah, who knows? But uh, they definitely don't have a good relationship. Just with even when the theatrical version, you can see there's some dysfunction there between the two. Can I throw something at you? Yeah, go ahead. It would be weird, but I also got those vibes too. You know, the way that he he's either just not proud of her as a dad, right? Because she left and now she's back. But what if he did have that relationship and Danny is his son? What if that's an incestual thing that went on? And that's why he calls him a bastard. Exactly. And that's what, that's some of the fan theories that are floating around out there. I hate that, but gross. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Something, man, we didn't start off this episode with asking this, but I mean, it's clear as day. You prefer the theatrical version because of the intensity, right? And also, it's nostalgic for you. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's safe to say. I love The Curse of Michael Myers. But I, in fact, prefer the producer's cut. Okay. This is something that... You know how you said a minute ago that you've watched it with fresh eyes? Same thing for me, but watching this from B being in high school to just now... And looking at it more as a, cr- a critic rather than a fan, um, I will always take both these films, but I prefer the producer's cut. And I would love to get in that debate with you because I don't think there's a wrong answer either way. It depends what you're going for when you watch it. And just like when you talked about so many scenes make it for you because of how crazy hardcore they are, and I'm telling you, they definitely are. I like the toned down version because to me, it feels so much like Halloween 1. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that that makes sense, and they use a lot more of that of uh, Alan Holworth's uh, score in the producer's cut, so like good. that, yeah, the synthesizer type. And I thought, so I thought in the theatrical that they replaced all the all that score with like uh, like kind of grunge rock or was popular at the time. But there's actually only one song that they put in. It's that Brother Kane song, uh, "Full yeah. Shine On," which you know I I don't mind it, you know, but. Uh, but no, they but they still do incorporate some of the the like the original Halloween theme music in here and there, even in the theatrical cut. Hey, so did you know like um, with Marianne Hagen who plays Kara Strode? She's our final girl, right? She's our main character in this, and you can call Tommy the final girl too. But you know how obviously this movie was produced by the Weinstein's, and we know a lot now that we didn't know then, and they didn't even like her so much so because I guess she wasn't more of a sex appeal character. I loved that about her because she's like screaming reference to Jamie Lee Curtis in the original, like so much so that they both wore like the same thing with the sweaters and the long skirt, you know, the dress down to the ankles and everything very much of a proper schoolgirl type deal. And so they like even played Lori's theme with her. Did you catch that? It was beautiful. Yeah, no, I did see a lot of parallels between Kara and Lori. Like it, and you especially see it more in the producer's cut because there's a scene where she's walking through the, the college, uh, campus and michael myers is kind of stalking her through the the campus so i I really like those types of scenes and even at the end towards the end when she is running her and danny are running from michael myers they're running across the street from the strode house back over to mrs blankenship's house and she's banging on the door trying to be let in that definitely harkens back to that scene in the first halloween dude i don't know about you but i was like waiting for her to say tommy let me in it's me like He's the one that eventually helps let her in anyway, him and, and Dr. Loomis. But, oh, I was wanting that so bad. Yeah, no, that, that, was, that was cool. I, I, I like that. I like those parallels. And and I think, you know, it, it goes to show that um, Daniel Ferens, the writer, he was a mm-hmm. big fan of the Halloween oh, franchise. Yeah. And, and, and it sucks because I know that he wrote, like his script that he originally wrote wasn't even the producer's cut. It was like, uh, I can't remember now. But it was different, and but I then, think they said what the producers cut is probably about half of his script. Okay, I'd, I'd be curious, and I and the, the script is probably floating around out there on the internet somewhere. I'm sure I could go through and read it. I'd be curious to see what that's actually like. I'd like to think it's kind of close to the producers cut because, besides the producers cut mimicking the original Halloween and really just doing an amazing job of carrying the vibe that the '78 version set. He was able to, like it or not, he was able to fill so many plot holes within the series. Well, yeah, and it even uh, it even kind of ties back into Halloween three too, because um, you know you in the, in that one you know you have the Celtic the runes and all that you know, well you have the Celtic you know Conal Cochran and the the Irish or the 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 Stonehenge type stuff, 
Right. And they talk about like the Celtic Druids, the Druid rituals and stuff like that. And even in Halloween 6, you had Mrs. Blankenship, which in Halloween 3, there was a character mentioned named uh, Blankenship. I don't I, you know. You can say it's the same one or not, you know, whatever. Uh, but so in part six, you know, she's talking about she basically makes almost the same speech as Colin Cochran did, you know, back in the day. You know, they had all these bonfires and rituals to to honor the uh, the harvest festival or whatever, you know. I think I think Connell Connell's speech is a little bit more uh, talking about human sacrifice and stuff like that, whereas <laughs> Mrs. Blankenship's is more about like celebrating the season and and just you know the kind of like the I don't know the the just like what it represents type deal. Yeah. Well, man, I, I love that you you bring up the writer because yes, he is like the super fan. Like I thought I was the super fan, and I'm still gonna say I am, <laughs> but man, just the way that he tried to tie in everything from before, like, yes, he had to deal with the whole men in black mystery. And I think he did a great job. I mean, they could have wrote him out and people probably would have been like, that's number five is the weird one with the men in black. Who cares about that? And people would have got over it, but seeing him in this and revealing that it's a character from the original Halloween, because Dr. Wynn was, he had a small part in the original 78 Halloween where he's walking out with Loomis and there's the conversation of you let him out. And he's just like, he talked about learning how to drive. And in this movie, I believe that Michael Myers, yes, he's doing the killings, but I believe he's being carried around. Because in this movie, Michael Myers is continuously followed by the Man in Black and the Cult of Thorn. And I see it as them doing his dirty biddings, like they help him align with kills. And so much so that I believe either the Man in Black is doing the driving in this, because you never physically see Michael Myers' face, or... Dr. Wynn is the one who originally taught Michael Myers how to drive, which I love. Yeah, no, I think if it was in the script or I don't know if it was actually filmed, but I think that was the implication like in the like in the script, like Dr. Wynn says reveals that he taught Michael how to drive. Perfect. Um, that works so for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the things that I like about in the theatrical cut is the cult the cult of Thorn, you know, Dr. Wynn and his minions, they think that they can control Michael Myers, and in the end, they really can't. Like he kind of turns on him. I, I think I, I really like that twist. I don't know, but because of the producer's cut, they still have kind of total control over Michael all the way till the very end. Whereas, you know, I guess Michael does turn on Doctor One at the very end, and that we see um, even in the producer's cut. But it's a lot more satisfying in the theatrical cut, I think, because you know, it's just the, it's as really brutal. Well, in talking about the comparison between the two, we can't leave out one of the biggest things, and that's Jamie Lloyd. I mean, uh, we such a big difference with Jamie. And, and we all know Jamie because she's the main character in Halloween 4 and 5, played by Daniel Harris, who's a scream queen now. And unfortunately, they didn't bring Daniel Harris back for 6. I who knows the truth, right? I've heard so many different stories about it. You can read that she wanted to do it so much so that she paid for lawyers to get her the okay to do it with the child labor law so she could spend more time on set. But the price that she paid to be able to do it didn't justify the price she was going to get paid for the film. And they just didn't care. Like, I feel like if this movie was made today, you could they would have got every single person they could from all the originals. Uh, so much so that even Tommy Doyle, right, in this movie, they wanted to bring back Brian Andrews, but he didn't have an agent. They couldn't get a hold of him, so they went with this new guy named Paul Stephen Rudd, right? Your favorite actor. But <laughs> yeah. I, there's huge differences in how this character is treated. So when you watch the theoretical version, yeah, she's in the first 20 minutes. She's one of the only characters you see, and she's running with her baby that we don't know anything about. We're like, she just had a baby in this weird looking hospital and Michael Myers is hunting her down and he is killing people left and right in the most brutal kinds of ways. And dude, um, tell everybody in the theoretical, what happens to Jamie Lloyd? There's a whole barn scene where she's running from Michael and, and he catches up with her and he catch, picks her up and he slams her down some kind of farm equipment. I have no idea what this thing is, but something with blades and like he impales her on it basically. And then just like, and it's a kind of interesting scene because she holds out her hands, like kind of pleading for like, uh, I don't know, like empathy or, or s sympathy or something like that. And he kind of holds out his hands, like almost like he's going to return the gesture, but then he just like pushes her further down on the blades and then it like, turns it on. And it's really, it's really a brutal scene. And it's like, Oh man, it's, it's really savage. Like, you know, a, a gut punch, you know, I feel like, and I like, I actually prefer the theatrical, 
uh, versions kill it. But I think if it was Daniel Harris playing the part, it would have been different. Like, I would have rather have seen. Oh, don't her. tell me you you wanted the character to die just because it was J.C. Brandy. <laughs> well, no, I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel I wonder if it if it was Daniel Harris if she would have had a bigger part in the movie if she would have actually if the character would have actually carried on through the through the whole movie or not. Well, let me tell everybody the difference here. And, and we should have said this in the beginning. We're Spoilers, right? We're, these movies have been out for a little while, uh, and we're talking about them. And, and we don't want to spoil it for you as more as we want to convince you to watch it if you haven't. Because it, although the producer's cut obviously is more expensive now, you can buy it or rent it digitally. That's the way to go. I like what they do with the producer's cut because it lets her be in the movie longer but it fills in some plot holes of why certain people are visiting the hospital at certain times. And so the difference in the producer's cut is she just gets stabbed and you don't even see it. It's almost like below the screen stab and she falls down and we assume she's dead, but she's not. They show up and they put her on the gurney. And this is whenever Dr. Wynn and Dr. Loomis, they show up because they got, whenever Dr. Wynn took Dr. Loomis to Smith's Grove sanitarium, which is so cool by the way, that they revisit Smith's Grove. And his secretary is like, oh, yeah, Jamie Lloyd, just that body they found, it's her. She's dead or she's been killed, whatever it is. And so they go to visit her and we see the huge cult of thorn symbol burned on the haystack, which is so cool. And I know it's a little odd at first to see kind of these cult and ritual and, and things out here. But also when you watch The Curse of Michael Myers, dude, just that scene you're talking about, the farm equipment, like that's a Jason Voorhees kill right there. Like Michael has stepped his game up, and I love seeing it. It is awesome. I mean, I was the same age bracket when I saw this, so what would I have voted at the time? Who knows? But I love that her character is intended to survive, and the man in black goes and shoots her in the hospital. Like that is equally savage. Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that I like in the theatrical over the producers is, so in the producers, do you have more scenes where um, Michael is present with the cult, like while they're doing the rituals or whatever? And I like in the theatrical, you never see Michael with the cult. Like he's just, he's like this, it's almost like they have him somewhere and he gets loosed or something in the theatrical and he's just kind of on a rampage. Whereas in the producers, it's more he's more of a controlled entity. Right. Like they actually control him and direct him to do this or that. So in the, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I like the, I like the theatrical better in that sense, where Michael is this uncontrollable, kind of like loose cannon, like you know, thing that you can't really control ultimately. Well, it's like you said, man. Um, in the Curse of Michael Myers. In both versions, the last, like the third act is completely different. And in your version, we're going to call it your version now. In Andy's version, you can't contain evil. And that is really cool. Like when Michael Myers goes on a killing spree and, and kills everybody, it satisfies the thirst for all horror fans because the scenes are brutal. And from what I heard, and I haven't YouTube this yet, I wish I had. Apparently, you know the scene where he's chasing down the one surgeon guy who gets away and then he crushes him into the gate? Apparently, that scene was even more brutal before where you can see his face squashing through the gate. Have you seen that? Yeah, I mean, I thought that in the theatrical, I thought it kind of shows most of that, but maybe not. Not most of it. Apparently, it's even more somewhere else. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but, but that's yeah. not even in the producer's cut. No, and that whole sequence is not. And right. It's cool because what they do instead is they focus a lot more on what the cult is. And I think I think that's the problem that Curse of Thorn or <laughs> the Curse of Michael Myers has is that it feels like two movies pushed together and there's some things they just couldn't fix and so they just needed to put it out. It's still a great movie. I would never talk bad about it. One, two, and six all day long. Those are always my Halloweens. But you will notice if you want if you're somebody who watches the Curse of Michael Myers and you're like, this doesn't make sense to me. Do yourself a favor and watch the producer's cut because though it's not as violent as the other film, it's as violent as Halloween 1, but it definitely pushes the cult storyline so much so that even if you don't like it, it's at least believable and you understand what the heck is going on. Yeah, well, yeah, one of the things with the cult that I thought was interesting in the producer's cut, you see how many people were actually in the cult like you know, you got Mrs. Blankenship, you know, that's that's apparent in the theatrical cut as well, but in the producer's cut you even see like Dr. One's secretary was in the cult. You see that the, 
the guy that worked at the bus station was in the cult. Yeah. It's just like all these, it's like, wow, like just how kind of like far reaching the cult was. And Smithville was basically like, you know, run by this cult or wait, no, Smith's Grove. But I don't see, I don't know. I guess the bus station was closer to Smith's Grove, I'm assuming, because that's where that's where Jamie escaped from, I th- I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's where she leaves from, where she goes up to the rooftop and, and gets on the van and everything. I don't know, man. I, I love it. It was even different because you get to see Tommy Doyle, like, in the cult uniform, which was really cool. It, yeah, that that was cool. Um, I felt like the ending to the Bruce Risco was almost anticlimactic, though. Because you have, you know, you kind of have a buildup of them going to to rescue Kara and the baby from the cult. And then, uh, and it's just like Tommy following the guy to the little cult, the ritual floor, whatever. And then the Temple of Doom cult. <laughs> yeah, so Temple of Doom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he, you know, he kind of like, you know, puts the knife up to Dr. Winslow and they just escape. And of course, Michael Myers chases them. But then. Yeah, you know, he puts down the runes and it's over. Whereas in the theatrical cut, like Tommy is kind of looking for Kara. He's like going through that that maximum security wing of the of the mental hospital. And there's a lot more like chase scenes, I guess, because after because in that part, you know, that's when he finds Kara in one of the rooms and then Michael Myers comes out and starts chasing him. So they they he chases them for a little bit and then they go into the operating room scene where Michael Myers comes in like obliterates all the doctors and dr Wen. i guess that's the scene where dr Wen dies in the theatrical cut although they cut out his death i guess there was a a shot where he gets decapitated but they they either didn't film it or it was cut whatever and then and then you get the, the longer chase scene where they're going through the tunnel and that other doctor is kind of trying to follow behind them whatever where uh well they so need kinda, him to die andy <laughs> tommy yeah. could have let him out yeah, yeah, but I think you know he's part of the Cold of Thorn, you know, whatever. Yeah, and then they have the whole scene in the that uh, I don't know the laboratory at the very end, you know, where it has like the the babies and the test tube babies and and the green fluid and stuff like that. I, th- I mean, I know it's kind of silly, but it kind of harkens back to those like fifties horror movies, you know, like the Mad Scientist stuff, which sure. you know, I, I know we both love that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so I think. So, Andy, let me tell you, you know what you're doing right now? Is you're making the theoretical version, your version, sound really good, and you didn't give my producer's version much. You're like, oh, then he, like, you know, he stops him. And then we move over to here. I'm like, wait, hold on, so much more happens. (laughs) But you know what? You're right. There is definitely a feeling, especially if you've seen the theoretical cut first, that the end of the producer's cut minus the twist, because you got to admit, the twist you didn't see coming. Are you talking about whenever... uh... Dr. Loomis removes the mask at the end. Yeah, which I will say that is odd because at no point in my remembrance does Dr. Loomis try to unmask Michael Myers. That's true. He doesn't. Yeah. Right. I didn't I'm even okay think about with that. it because of the reveal. And the yeah. reveal is, again, spoiler for everybody, when Dr. Loomis pulls his mask off, it's Dr. Wynn who's in the overalls laying in the circle of the runes. And then Dr. Wynn grabs his wrist and tells him, it's your game now, Dr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis looks down at his wrist, and we see the Cult of Thorns symbol, which we've seen on Michael Myers' wrist. It appears on Dr. Loomis. He screams and looks over, and we see in a like a silhouette shadow that Michael Myers has escaped wearing the man in black uniform. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was it was a it was a cool twist. Yeah, you gotta give him credit for that. Um Yeah, so I, I don't know. It just, it should, well, I guess I guess we have seen Michael Myers wore costumes in the past. In the past movies, he wore like the the bed sheet for Bob to look like Bob with the glasses. Uh, he wore the other Halloween mask to look like the Tina's boyfriend. Was that his yeah. name, Michael? Too, I think his name was Michael too. I think wasn't it was, it? yeah. And so I guess we have seen that like this little trickery, this little playfulness in the past with some of his victims. So, what's well, this isn't really the same thing. He's not like trying to bait. A victim in this scene he's just trying to escape escape yeah putting on a disguise escape so i guess i could see that um but yeah i i just i don't know like i guess from a story perspective it does make it's more linear and it kind of falls in line with the rest of the movie with the first half well on, as far as the producer's cut goes and you know i've heard 
there's a guy that I watch on YouTube. His name is uh, Drum Dumbs, I think. And he has made a cut incorporating elements from both of the cuts. And he calls it the Blue Myers cut. And so he takes, he basically takes like, like the first and second act of the producer's cut and then blends it in with the third act of the theatrical cut. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out. And I don't know if it's like available anywhere, but uh, he he talks about it on his YouTube channel that he he's kind of actually put it together because he was trying to practice video editing and stuff like that. So he he made his own cut, his own preferred cut of the movie because he actually likes both aspects of both sure. versions. So, oh, you know what? Speaking of actors that could have possibly played roles, so for the part of Beth, Tim's girlfriend. They were one of the possibilities was Denise Richards. I wouldn't have liked that too much. Really? Beth was awesome, but the reason why they did not go with Denise Richards be, was because they said she was all boobs. One well, if they year, were trying to impress those fourteen year old boys, I guess they would have, Because but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the one sex scene involves Beth in... Dude, I love that scene so much. Not because it's an explicit sex scene, but the one the biggest thing I want to talk about is the nods back to the original Halloween are so crazy in this movie. Like that scene just, it reminded me so much of the scene in part one. And I can't believe I'm drawing a blank where it's Bob and Linda. Linda, Thank you. Yeah. Linda. (laughs) Just so awesome. And I got to say my, and I don't like necessarily talking bad about anything, but Tim is like my least favorite character in this movie. He's fine. But he doesn't have a lot to play with in this movie. He's definitely just fodder in this movie, right? And even so much so as Danny. Like, they don't get a lot of stuff. But I love even, like, death scenes in this movie. Like, whenever Kim Darby's character gets killed because she's um, Deborah Strode. Which, again, John and Deborah. Hello. That's awesome. But, yeah, um, yeah just her scene with the axe kill was awesome. But her body is found. Like, it, it dangles down from the rafter just like Bob's body does in part one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's there's a lot of callbacks to the original. Yeah. Well, and think about like we talked about, you know, the running to and from the Strode to uh, Blankenship's house. And that's like part one. What about the reveal that Miss Blankenship babysat Michael Myers on the night that he killed his sister? Dude, did you think about like the original movie starts off with the POV shot of him leaving her house because he's going towards his house? Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. that. (laughs) Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah. I love it, man. And um, the death scenes are definitely different, right? And I, and I know, like, John Strode in this movie, uh, he is a complete douche, and he deserves everything he gets in this so much. In my version, he gets stabbed, and he gets pushed into the breaker box, I guess, and he gets electrocuted, and there's some cutaway scenes, and that's it. He dies. Very tame. But in yours... He gets stabbed into that box and severely electrocuted. He starts foaming at the mouth and his freaking head explodes. Yeah, it's it's definitely the uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely you know the the brutality is and the the gore is 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 exaggerated there. And I think with his death on the producer's cut, your version, it's kind of more like a death on a TV movie. That's why I feel like you know something you yeah. see like in a and like yeah. a made for TV thing where it's 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 more implied. Which that could be good too in some cases, but you know with the theatrical, there's like nope, we're just going to show everything. Uh, you know we're going to get those fourteen year old boys, you know, to to pack the seats in the theater, you know. So, well, they use um, what is it, John? And I was we just lost him. Oh yeah, John B. John B. Yeah, Blair, yeah. to do the effects yeah. and it shows. Yeah, they're amazing. And it's interesting too, like so when the reshoots for the theatrical cut, like they basically reshot the third act. That's what they. That's the main thing that they did for the theatrical what well, and so they replaced michael mars with a different actor like it, in the in the first two acts it was george wilbur was the yeah. actor that played michael was, myers and because he did it in part four this is the first time a returning actor played michael myers twice uh, okay that's right yeah okay awesome. and then in, in the reshoots for act three it was a different actor I don't know what his name is, but he was I actually like wrote it down um, because I was so bitter about it. But um, his name was Michael Lerner. Oh, OK, OK. I gotcha. guess he learned to play Michael Myers. huh? <laughs> <laughs> Did it... Yeah, but he was like a more lean, lean looking Michael Myers, I guess. <laughs> and that does call back to more of the Nick Castle shape, I guess. 
Yeah. But dude, I mean, just to to defend George, <laughs> I guess he was fifty four years old. Oh, okay. And you know how he he's kind of like a bigger, like a bulkier, like he kind of had that dad bod, you know. Mm-hmm. It makes sense because in the producer's cut, we find out he is a dad. Exactly. Well, and in the theatrical cut, he does make an appearance in that third act. He is the doctor that's running away, running away down the tunnel from Michael after the operating room scene. So, that's that's George Wilbur. So so he does make an appearance. I wonder how he felt about that. You know, he, they're doing the reshoots, but he's not really Michael Myers, and he actually gets killed by Mike, killed by Michael Myers in the theatrical cut. I don't know, man. I I think it's bittersweet either way because he's still Michael Myers in that movie. Yeah. So. I would say, you know, to kind of, you know, kind of wrap things up, uh, you know, just, both versions are entertaining. I think, you know, I think the the popular opinion is that the producer's cut is better. I think technically it's probably a better version. Uh, but as far as like myself, my opinion, I just get more entertainment value out of the theatrical cut. Um, so anyway, that's so that's my verdict. It, I would like my suggestion to audience or to the listeners, if you haven't, if you somehow haven't seen this movie, I don't know. Like, I guess it just depends. Like if, I don't know what I would suggest for people to watch first. I, I would say the, um, the theoretical version definitely first. Cause I feel like you can get more set. Cause if you watch the producer's cut, I guess you can't really go wrong, but I know like that's the experience you and I both had. And I think you're able to appreciate the producer's cut for what it is, whether you prefer it or not. You get more out of it because you see the way that it changed and kind of fixed some of the incoherence of the storyline for Curse. Um, but either way, whichever version you watch first, you, I think you should definitely watch both of them because you're going to get something big from each one. Yeah, definitely. They both have things to offer. I mean, this podcast is split down the middle. <laughs> you like <laughs> one, I like one, we like both. Yeah. I and not like I said, I, I I will go back and watch the producer's cut again, you know, from time to time. I'm not I'm not against watching it, but I think if I had to pick one or the other, I would probably pick the theatrical cut to watch. Like if I had one evening to pick one one evening to watch one of the versions, I would probably pick the theatrical. Um but um but yeah, um oh one thing I like uh, what'd you think about Barry Sims, you know, the, the shock jock DJ? He was this is something we didn't talk about earlier, but he was kind of an interesting addition to the movie because I think back in the in the 90s, you know, in that time, you you had Howard Stern and like the shock jock was kind of like the big thing on radio then, you know, I thought yeah. that was interesting. So much so they I think they wanted Howard Stern originally to play the role, but he was busy making private parts, his movie. Oh, uh, OK, that's what happened. One of the I will say for the producers, cut, another thing that they'd added in that I thought was good was for that the DJ's kill scene. He yes. was. They actually showed that he got into the wrong van um, and the theatrical doesn't show it at all. It just shows him get into a, a van and you don't know that it's the wrong van. But in the producer's cut, it shows the camera after he gets into the van, the camera pans back to the back of the van. And you see it's actually a van from Smith's Grove. San I Adrian. thought that was a weird cut. Like, why would they have not showed that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, because it, it definitely explains it more like why he. Yeah, you know, why Michael Mars was in that van. Yeah. But either way, um, I think in both versions, his character is hilarious and is a complete douchebag. And he does have a really awesome kill. Yeah. And then he, he gets strung up in a tree and, you know, and then which we I don't think to... Michael did. I think his people did that. Oh, OK. Yeah, I think that I don't. I don't know. I could be wrong because if I'm going back to the original Halloween, he did string up Bob and do some things here, but I don't know. I just don't see Michael climbing a tree. (laughs) If anybody else knows anything about this movie that we haven't uncovered, whether it's a deleted scene, an extended scene, if there's another version somehow, or if by, I would say the grace of God, somehow um, somebody involved with the project ever hears this episode, I would love any more detail because we both love both versions, and I think we would love to uncover as much as possible. So if there's anything else out there, please tag us or send it to us. You can find us both on Twitter. Uh, Andy, throw your Twitter handle. Yeah, I'm at Black Cat Podcast. 
and I'm at Dave underscore Phantom. You're going to see us uh, doing a whole bunch of stuff on Twitter now that this podcast has been released. We're coming at the world full force with all the horror that we can get. There's probably going to be a lot of Michael Myers push from us. You're definitely going to get the Freddy and Jason stuff here, but anything Boogeyman related, anything Halloween season related, this podcast is horror 24-7 because it's the world of horror podcasts. But we love to interact with you guys. We are part of the SIP network. And so our brothers and, and maybe sisters in the future, I don't know, uh, are going to be coming on here and we'll have to get their opinions. And we're interested to know. We haven't talked to them about this episode yet. I want to know which version they prefer because we're going to start a war, Andy. It's going to be Andy's version versus Dave's version. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it always sparks some good debate because I, I always see this question pop up on Twitter. Yeah, you know, people are always like, which which version do you prefer? You know, theatrical or, or producers, especially you know, we just had the was it the 25th anniversary of this movie? We did just celebrate yeah. it, yeah. So I, I saw a lot of Twitter posts, you know, people asking which version do you do you prefer? And I think overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, it was the producer's cut. So um, if that says anything to you, you know, that's that just kind of goes to show that that is the popular choice. Well, I thank everybody that's listened to all of our episodes up to this point. You know, this is our this is our grand launch. You know, this month, and we're really excited to put finally you know launching this new this new podcast and excited for everybody to hear all of our episodes and um, you know get ready for. So this is this will be a monthly podcast just because uh, for from you know Dave's involved in a lot of other stuff. I'm involved in you know work and school and stuff like that. So this will be a monthly podcast once again. So just. Uh, so you'll so we're gonna we're gonna spoil you this month. You know, in October we're giving you three episodes, uh, but for November we're gonna have one episode, and and that one uh, just to give you a preview. I will be joined by Jamie from the Fave Five from Fans podcast, and we're talking about the Devil's Reign from 1975. So that's that was a great discussion. Uh, so you guys should definitely uh, check that out when it comes out. I'll advertise it on social media and, and all that good stuff. So you got anything else you want to add, Dave? Yeah, man, just want to tell the world again, you know, they heard us before on Black Cat Shadow. We've reunited to do this. I'm so honored to be able to podcast with you, bro, and talk about horror movies. Um, We do it behind the scenes. It's really cool that we can just submit it out to the world and our other brothers and sisters out there will tune in and check it out. I can't wait to get more guests on here. And if anybody likes this episode, please retweet it. You know, and then if you find us on any of the platforms out there, give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'll, that'll help us out if you review the show. And, and yeah, just give us your honest, honest feedback because that'll help us make the show even better. So thanks again for checking out and you're listening to the World of Horror.